Hello and welcome to Impact Quantum, a podcast about quantum computing for developers and engineers. In this episode, Frank and Andy speak with Yuval Boger about how his company Classic enhances quantum developer productivity. But, first, here's some dubstep. Hello, and welcome back to Impact Quantum, podcast for engineers to help understand the next coming wave that is quantum computing. With me here, um, as we are on our main podcast, Data Driven, uh, is Andy Leonard. How's it going, Andy? It's going great, Frank. How are you? I'm doing great. I am doing very well. I am trying to keep up my quantum studies, but I do want to share a little bit of news that I am now a Microsoft AI MVP. And um, there apparently is no quantum computing a, a, uh, MVP um, category yet. So okay. hopefully, hopefully, yeah, you know, day. it'll be there one day. Yeah, yeah. That's well, cool. when it is, what it is, though, I'll be ready. Congratulations, uh, Frank. That's thank huge. you very much. Thank you. I, um, I, I, it's been on my bucket list of things to get back into the MVP program, but it just kind of fell by the wayside and. Um, because, as you know, we've been busy doing other things. I know. Uh, but not the least of which is launching Data Channel. Datachannel.tv. Use launch code 49. Just uh, if you want to use a coupon code, use the code launch497. And um, and then if you that's for the month, you get it for $4.97, which is like uh, two-thirds off. And you can also use uh, Data Channel for life, the number four, life. And you get a four, uh, $47 a year. Although... Uh, you can always start off with a free subscription, and we may or may not have a Black Friday deal. So stay tuned. Yeah, uh, with, we're kicking that around. We're kicking that around. <laughs> it's cool that we can do that because last year this was just an idea. So It was about a year ago, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So this is being recorded on the 22nd of November, mm-hmm. 2021, a few days before Thanksgiving 2021. Yep. And uh, I'm very thankful for our guest, Frank. You were getting ready. I interrupted you uh, introducing our guest. So oh, please. that's fine. Um, our next guest uh, saw me do a LinkedIn Live. So people actually do watch those and uh, <laughs> talking about quantum computing. <laughs> and he works for a startup called Classique. And uh, he did a demo of the tooling that they provide, and it is strictly awesome. There's no other way to describe it. So nice. welcome to the show, Yuval. Good to be here. How are you doing? As I'm doing well. I'm doing well. I really enjoyed our conversation on Friday, even though it was uh, you know brief so much that I was like, we got to get him on the show before Thanksgiving. So um, <laughs> this is the only time block that would work until December. So I am uh, very excited to have you here. So am I. I appreciate it. So awesome. So, um, so tell us a little bit about, um, you know, you have an interesting history. Uh, you were telling me that you were the VR guy, I believe it was, and then you were something else. And then, and then now you're into quantum computing, which I've dabbled with VR and, um, quantum computing. So I'm, I'm curious what your quantum origin story is. Like, how did you find about, how did you find out about quantum computing? So my name is Yuval. I'm chief marketing officer for Classic. Uh, By education, I have a master's in physics, so that explains a little bit of that. And then on the marketing side, I I have an MBA from Kellogg. So combining sort of physics and and marketing, my my love for physics and my passion for marketing. And what I've been doing before Classic is um, leading a whole bunch of uh, cutting edge technologies and trying to help them become mainstream. So 
many years ago, I ran a VR company called uh, Sensex, uh, started out of Johns Hopkins. And at that time, I was able to grab the Twitter handle VR guy just to uh, indicate how early this was in, in life. I did that for 12 years. And after that, I became the charge guy for wireless charging. And so when the opportunity to join Classic and the fact that Qubit Guy was available on Twitter, I just couldn't pass that on. Uh, and so here I am, and I'm awesome. uh, trying to help Classic turn Quantum into mainstream by solving the issue of software development. Why is it so difficult to write software for quantum computing, and what can we do about it? Yes, exactly. And I think that's that's one of the things that I, I kind of I see the opportunity, the challenge and the opportunity for anyone who's a software developer today to be ready for the quantum shift, because there's going to be once these things become practical. Now, they're, 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 we, we're past the phase now where they're possible. That's already happened. Right. Um, I think now we're just waiting for it to be practical. Some will argue that we're already there. But that's a debate for another day is that regardless of whether that's today or six months from now or six years from now, there's going to be a severe shortage of people. I eagerly await the day when I get a call from a recruiter, you know, probably a couple months from now. Who knows? Do you have 10 years experience in quantum computing? <laughs> that would be that would be the day. But you're right. I think there, there are three things that are limiting quantum computing today. And you know the challenge is, of course, everyone is, is reading about all the great things that quantum will be able to do, whether it's supply chain or finance or solve you know, green energy problems and so on. And what's holding it back? Well, in my opinion, there are three things. The first is the hardware. There, there's lots of great progress on the hardware. I mean, IBM just announced last week 127 qubit machine but that's still not powerful enough. You know, broadly speaking, anything you can run on a quantum computer today, you could run on a classical simulator of a, of a quantum computer. So as we stand in just before Thanksgiving 2021, there's not a lot, if anything, that you can do on quantum computers that's truly useful beyond what you could do classically. However, when we look at the roadmap of all the manufacturers, even IBM saying, oh, we'll have 400 qubits next year and we'll have 1,000 qubits the year after. Now there's going to be a, a chasm that's going to start to form and widen. And for applications that are specifically written for quantum computers, you might actually be able to get real business benefit in doing stuff faster or cheaper uh, or solving problems that were not solvable before. So the hardware is certainly one thing. The second thing is talent. Uh, there's a when I talk to my friends in the quantum computing industry, everyone is looking to hire great people, and there are not that many people with quantum knowledge. And part of that is because today, to be effective in quantum, most people feel like they need a physics background, not, not to mention almost PhD-level physics background. And that's a problem. One, there are not that many PhD-level physics grads around. But the other thing is, when you try to solve real problems, whether it's supply chain or chemistry or pharma, the physics knowledge is not enough. You also need to be an expert in supply chain or pharma or, or uh, whatever it is that you're trying to do. So finding that person who's both is really going to get difficult unless something is done about it. And the third thing that's holding quantum back, in my opinion, 
is that it's so hard to write software for it. It's hard today when you have relatively small machines and with the current methods, we feel it's gonna be practically impossible to do in the future. And if you want, I'm happy to tell you why. Oh, please, please. Cause I think, you know, the, the description you got me, you gave me on Friday was just so like, I was thinking all weekend about like, wow, that really does change the game. And um, it's very powerful. I mean, today when, when people want to solve a quantum problem, they go through three steps. The first step is they say, okay, I've got, an, I've got a calculation I want to do. I want to figure out option pricing, or I want to do uh, to, to, to find objects in a radar imagery or whatever it is. And so they try to convert that into quantum speak to say, okay, when well, I need to initialize the circuit this way, and then I'm going to run a Grover search here, and I'm going to use this, and I'm going to flip it here, and sort of figure out what the building blocks of the individual quantum algorithm is. And then you start implementing these individual blocks. And that by itself is very difficult because there may be different methods of implementing. Even a, a simple function like adding two qubits, do you want to do it with QFT? Do you want to do a ripple adder? Do you want to do some other adders? It's difficult to do it this way. How many qubits are you going to use? The more auxiliary qubits you have, the shallower the circuit can become. Um, how do I translate that into gates? And then even once you finish the individual blocks, putting it all together is even a bigger issue because very quickly you say, oh, I'm out of qubits. I don't have a, a machine that's large enough. Oh, the circuit is too deep because noise is going to run over. What do you then do? Do you take these blocks and try to narrow them down? Can you reorder them in a different way? Do you choose a different implementation? Do you take a block and make it less accurate so you'll save on resources? If you want to reuse qubits, you have to clean them up to uncompute them. So these are becoming extremely difficult and they may be reasonably difficult when you have five or 10 or 15 qubits, but good luck doing that on a 127 qubit machine from IBM. Sure. And, and we find that actually computers are better at doing this than humans. Um, there's a classic problem in math called uh, rectangle packing. I'll give you a whole bunch of rectangles and try to organize them on a desk so they take the minimum amount of surface without having them overlap one another. So if I give you five rectangles, oh, that's easy, I can do it and you'll find a good solution. If I give you 500 rectangles, you'll be able to do it, but there's no guarantee it's the optimal solution. Maybe a computer can figure out on how to do it in half the area. That's what Classic is doing. We say, you, Mr. Designer or Miss Designer, focus on what you want the algorithm to do, on the functional blocks. We'll figure out the implementation. We're going to look at different implementations. We're going to look essentially at billions of different options of how to organize it, what gates to use, how to trade off one versus the other. And we're going to do it in a few seconds or a couple of minutes. So you can focus on being creative and we can focus on turning that into essentially machine language, figuring out the right combination of qubits and gates and algorithms that achieves your goals while meeting your constraints. Is it fair to call what you have, what, what Classic has, and I'm sorry, I mispronounced it before as Classic, because uh, it's spelled with a Q, so I thought you were going for that kind of thing. Either. 
Um, is it fair to say that it's a bit like a compiler? Well, a co- a there, there like. are some analogies, and so mm-hmm. you could say, oh, uh, even if I have a C compiler, I can change the optimization level, and based on the optimization level, our parameters and the target CPU, it's going to generate different code. But we're actually think of ourselves as one level above that. So our code, our platform, actually outputs code in Qsharp or Qiskit or Circ or any of these. And then we use the hardware-specific transpilers that is usually done by the manufacturer to figure out the sort of the last mile optimization. But what the compiler, the transpiler doesn't know that we do know is your goals in the circuit. So for instance, the transpiler doesn't know if a qubit is an auxiliary qubit or a qubit that you is really important to you. We know that, so we can decide to clean it up or reuse it or, or so on and so on. Because we yeah. start earlier in the process, we can make optimizations that are so much better. So we can say, oh, we take these two functional blocks. Can we make them in parallel? Maybe we do one before the other. Maybe we do them serially. We can look at things that the compiler sure. would never know. And the reason that's important, especially when, res- when you have resource-constraints computer, is imagine that by doing this optimization, I can, for instance, uh, optimize a portfolio with 100 assets, but without the optimization, you can only optimize a portfolio with 20 assets. So by using our platform, companies can get stuff done maybe a year before their competitors. And so you mentioned, you I apologize for interrupting, you mentioned a term I've never heard before, you said transpiler. So that sounds like more than just a compiler. Is the transfer transformation or exactly what is that? What does that mean? So even when you write code in, in Qiskit, there's a final step that says, well, now I actually have to take into account, for instance, the precise connectivity of the quantum computer. Maybe I have an implementation where uh, qubit one and two are adjacent to either, each other, so I can make an operation on both. Mm-hmm. But maybe in the code, in your code, it appears it's one and seven. So if I keep it at one and seven, I have to do another swap operation, which introduces additional noise and risk. And so the, the transpiler would say, actually, let's map your qubit number seven into my physical qubit number two. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Every quantum computer has a different native gate set. They might say we have universal gates, but underneath they're implemented with a smaller subset. So maybe you want to prefer to use the native gate set because that's what you really have in the hardware and so right. on and so on. So that's okay. some of the things that the transpilers do. Now, now, there are transpilers or something similar to it in conventional computing. They're just really old. like. We're talking like way back to the the era of circuitry, like uh, you know, vacuum tubes and stuff like that. <laughs> you know, I I mean, uh, isn't that what um, I remember when I was in college? They had um, you had a command line on the VAX where if you were trying to compile code, you had to do a link and then a translink or something like that. Or am I com- getting something confused? No, I mean I think you're right that a lot of the th- terms that we hear in quantum computing have existed for quite some time. And actually, even that problem of optimizing the location and the connectivity and 
how to implement everything that exists in the industry and it actually exists in chip design. I mean, when we are now using um, a team here, it runs on a CPU with billions of transistors. Right. Um, I was looking up the other day, the, the 4004, you know, the first commercially available microprocessor had about 2,000 transistors. The 8086 has 20,000 transistors. The i7 has, I think, 4 billion transistors. So when people did chip design, they also faced the same issue. I have functional blocks. I know I want to have memory or USB controller or, or GPU or what have you. How do I translate that into gates that actually happen on the chip? And how do I optimize it? So that process of synthesizing a circuit from functional models is very, very popular. And essentially the only way that people do chip design today, and we import that concept into quantum algorithm design. Interesting. So we're so far removed in conventional computing these days. I mean, if you think about it, most, um, uh, most, uh, most of our programming that we experience today is largely, you know, we do it in JavaScript in a browser, you know, I don't, but you know, let people do, we know we're so far away from the metal that I think that with quantum, I don't know if it's still metal, but I mean, um, it's, we're so far away from the molecules, I mean, or, or the actual metal with, with conventional computing. I think that uh, it, it's interesting. A lot of things are kind of coming back into vogue, you know, things like error correction, right? That that's not something they generally teach in comp sci these days um yeah. and i think they barely they mentioned it and when i was going getting my degree so i mean this is for conventional computing it sounds like a lot of the problems have been solved but now we're we're relearning the problems and how understanding how much progress we've made in conventional computing that's true right i yeah. mean when you do a web page today you don't think about assembly language or machine code right people right have worked hard to abstract it for you. So you can say, well, I want this drop down here and I want this bitmap here and sort of magic happens under the hood. And so you don't have to be an assembly language expert to design a web page. But today in quantum, you do. No one's doing web pages in quantum, but you have right. to sort of understand the full stack. And we're taking a lot of the complexity out so you can focus on the innovation on the things that you care about and not have to worry about what gate set and how to optimize it and how to uncompute auxiliary qubits and, and what have you. It reminds me a lot of the, um, of the abstraction that several frameworks have, uh, you know, have been developed to cover. <clears throat> so it's just like building, um, it's building platforms on which higher level languages can be developed. Is that analogous? I think, I think that's fair. There's also optimization that is sometimes specific to the user. What, what I mean, for instance, I mean, just to take a, a consumer example, you know, what car is the best? Well, right. depends on what my constraints are. I, I, I have to take seven kids to a soccer game. All right, so I need one type of car, or I'm trying to save the most uh, fuel or not use any fuel at all, then the, my constraints are different. Right. So same here. Um, I have to fit my algorithm into 32 qubits. I want it to be no, no bigger than this. I want this level of accuracy. So everyone has different desires and constraints. And instead of giving you cookie cutter approach where this is the only implementation and sort of that's it, you know, the Model T of, car, of quantum, 
we yeah. give you all this option on how to optimize it and fit the maximum quantum algorithm in a given machine. I so think do you find it uh, challenging to keep up because the hardware is changing monthly. Uh, you know, there's new error correction appearing every quarter. Do you find it challenging to keep up with that? Well, that's part of the fun, but I think it's a great question. The, <laughs> fun. <laughs> the hardware vendors are very happy to collaborate with us because they want to make it simpler for customers to produce algorithms for their hardware. And the hardware vendors understand that the more they tell us about the hardware, the better code we can generate for their particular design. Um, the other thing is that our platform is not limited to functional blocks that we have created. We allow customers to create their own functional blocks. So they don't even have to tell That's us. Nice. They say, I, yeah. I'm a financial guru. I'm, I'm creating my own uh, financial services, quantum computing blocks. Then I toss them into the, the classic platform and it gets optimized together with everything else. I think that was the thing that really impressed me about the tool. There are two things that really struck me about the tool. Um, well, three, I guess. One is that it sounds like you just described the problem in JSON, right? Two was the optimization part. And that's where this kind of thought came from was for the foreseeable future, qubits are going to be at a premium. Um, so just the ability to, to optimize that, you know what, if I can get it down just one qubit, um, I can optimize to that degree, that opens up a lot more possibilities, whether you're running on conventional hardware, which I imagine would save a fair bit of money, uh, or you know, if I need something that would actually use um, you know, a full-on real quantum computer, uh, I would imagine saving just one qubit would, one, make it more uh, faster, uh, more affordable and um, you know just that we're still in that 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 space here and then three was the ability that you just change your output language right and I think that's cool because there's no clear winner yet in terms of you know what's the quantum uh, programming language there's still not even uh, a clear winner on what type of hardware these things are running on right they're running on photonics trapped ion well topological qubits have kind of you know gone the way of the dodo but I mean there's no there's no consensus on the type of, you know, just underlying technology. Is that, I mean, that's, your tool provides a certain abstraction layer. I don't know if that's the right term that helps kind of bridge that. Yes. I mean, we, we certainly output to multiple languages and we support multiple hardware because what we see for companies that are trying to solve real problems is, as you've mentioned, they don't know who's going to be the winner. Is it going to be IBM? Is it going to be Honeywell? Is it going to be... Amazon with their new quantum computer? Is it PsiQuantum? Is it cold quanta? What have you? And they're reluctant to commit to writing software that only works on one machine. I mean, uh, if you only wrote for TRS-80 and there's no TRS-80 anymore, then too bad, right? And today you wouldn't think about writing uh, HPC code or server code that only works on Dell, it doesn't work on HP, right? You want to make sure it works everything. So whoever's got the fastest, the best quantum computer I can use at that time and not be stuck with a vendor that, that's lagging behind. I think it does back remind to, me, go ahead, Frank. No, I think back to when I was a kid, I um, wanted to have a video game company and I had a Commodore 64 and my friend had an Apple and one friend of ours had a Amiga. 
So the same game had to be written three times. Right. <laughs> That's where I was going. I remember the days of, you know, reading Byte magazine mm-hmm. and typing hex, you know, to to input a game without, you know, persistent storage. And this feels a lot like that. Uh, this period that we're in right now with quantum computing. And I, you know, I I love what Classic is doing. I love the um, the idea of trying to optimize, trying to um, to to output for multiple platforms. I think it's an important step in the process of evolving uh, quantum computing into this place that's similar, maybe in functionality. I don't think there's you know the analogies break down quickly between conventional computing and what quantum can do when you get to capabilities. But when you kind of step back and think about it from the platform framework kind of part, there are, the analogies hold at least for a while. Absolutely. Um, and if you want, I can show you some stuff or we can do it some other day. No, I think absolutely. Both. How about that? How about we, we, for those that are watching, uh, for those that are listening, I will do my best to explain what's happening. Um, and for those, and, and I encourage you to watch the video because we'll post this too. Maybe Andy will post it on Data Channel. Um, that is exactly what I was thinking, Frank. I think it's a fantastic idea. And I'll this make this. Perfect. I'll make this free. This particular video free. So, all right, go ahead. Uh, we'd love Very to see good. this because I, I I want Andy to see it because I've seen it and I'm like, wow, that's. Uh, I that's want really to see cool. it, and I tell you what, Frank, give me a. Uh, what I'm going to do is before you jump into that is I'm going to start an alternative recording. Okay. Because uh, Frank has shared with me some odd-looking screenshots, <laughs> and if we capture nothing else, we'd love to capture this portion. Um, right now, my screenshots are looking uh, relatively better. I'll say it that Good. way. Not picking on your screenshots for your screens, Frank. I don't think it's you. It's odd that I've got a that I've got a, a better-looking screen than you do. I'm stalling while uh, Camtasia fires up here. All right, I'm going to click, there's the record button. I'm going to select. Yeah, because like, uh, I'll I'll show you the screenshot, Yovali. You both look like the Hulk. (laughs) It's all like green, and you just see like this. I mean, I look like that normally. I mean, You look like that normally, yeah. I'm always uh, angry. Uh, Sorry about that. Okay, I've got a recording going now, kind of an alternative. And let's see what you got. Very good. So we deliver our platform in two ways. Um, one is this uh, VS Code, Visual Studio Code plugin, which you can just get on the uh, uh, Microsoft Marketplace, and you know, then we can activate it for you. And the other is as a Python SDK. And when you work in Python, the advantage is you can use non-quantum Python libraries, whether it's for gra- uh, graphics or machine learning or input-output and, and so on. But I'll demonstrate today some of the capabilities in the VS Code environment. So we program using functional blocks. So here is an example of a block. Uh, A fundamental operation in quantum is to initialize the qubits to a certain value. In in quantum speak, this is called state preparation. So we prepare the state of the qubit. So here we look at the parameters. We have the values that we want to put in uh, the qubits. We have here an error bound, uh, meaning I want these values to, I want a circuit that builds these values up to a 5% accuracy. So plus or minus 5% from that value. I uh, defined that I want to use four qubits and I, I have uh, 
excuse me, a maximum depth no more than 200 uh, steps long, uh, which is probably going to be more than enough. So all I need to do is I generate a circuit. Now it's running into, it's sending that to our back end, and voila, here is a quantum circuit. You can see that it has four qubits, and it has a bunch of quantum gates, and it generates uh, these values that we just wanted. And by the way, on the right side here, uh, generated just this instant, is uh, CASM code that implements this circuit. You can take that and deploy it immediately on anything that's uh, CASM compatible, like the IBM Cloud, or you can run in a simulator and see that we do a good job. So this is a circuit that uh, I don't know how long it would take me to create, maybe forever. <laughs> um, <laughs> and, and you can say, okay, well, this is this is with 5% accuracy. Now, let's see what happens. Maybe I, maybe I can try to push it to higher level of accuracy. Let, let's take 1% accuracy. So all I'm doing is I change one number. I change the constraint. And now let me just close the existing circuit and run it again. And now it's going to try to generate a circuit with that 1% uh, accuracy. You can immediately oh, wow. see a new circuit and you can see that it's longer. And Much more complicated. And more yeah. complicated, more accurate results. Uh, generated in real time, and you can see that, uh, and maybe based on the computer I have, this is just fine. So, but state preparation is sort of simplistic. Um, hmm. The other thing we could do is, for instance, say, okay, I want to do option pricing. So I'm a financial services firm, and I want to use Monte Carlo simulation to do option pricing. And now my functional blocks are one, what is the model? How does this option behave? And what is the value that I'm looking to calculate? And I can run this and generate a quantum circuit. It may take a few more seconds, but now as you can see on that description, I don't have to be a, an expert in quantum to generate the circuit. Here, a circuit was generated. We can dive into that in just a bit. And here is a long <laughs> block code, a long, a long code of block that implements this. Again, would take me forever and then some uh, to write it. Are we looking at, uh, I was just thinking, like, are we looking at the advent of low code, no code quantum? <laughs> that that <laughs> is. Um, one of the famous algorithms in, in quantum, one that gives you a speed up, is called the Grover algorithm. So the Grover search is something that you say, okay, uh, I'm looking for something, and how can I, how can I generate uh, a circuit that does that? How can I generate something that uh, finds it? Let me find something that I like. Now here's one, and now you see here is a block that says it's a Grover operator. Um, and here is the expression that I'm trying to find. I'm trying to find A and B such that A plus Fx or B modulo 8 equals 2. So now I have to do something that is um, both convert that symbolic expression into quantum speak and generate a quantum circuit from it. So um, let me try. I noticed that in this one, the output format is QS, which I believe is Q sharp. Precisely. And then uh, so let's let's call this Frank. Uh, this this is the Frank circuit, and now it's going to generate and uh, run and, and look at all these options and and generate it. Uh, it's going live to our backend, 
And now you have uh, both the, as you mentioned, the Q-sharp circuit here on the on the right, and you can see it is 470 lines long. So even if, uh, if I just had it on Byte magazine and I had to type it manually, <laughs> it'd take me forever and then some. Kids today will never understand the struggle. They, they won't get it, yeah. But here's, here's, here's the circuit, and it has, remember we had here an, an adder, and then XOR, and then a modulo, and you have all of these happening here. Here's the adder block, here's the XOR, here's the quality, uh, here is the uh, what's called the diffuser of the uh, Grover circuit. But let's, and, and this is just in a high-level functional model, so I can see what's going on. So but I just want to point something out real quick. I want to ask a question because I didn't I regret not asking this uh, the other day. You had set the limit to the available qubits to 15, and what I'm looking like here is that it used 12. So in this case, I didn't need 15 to create like, an optimal... Uh, design now I, I could go I could look at it both ways one uh, in a second I could uh, reduce it to nine and see if there's a solution maybe there is none or uh, I, I could change I could make the variables um, right now a is three qubits wide I could make them wider and see oh I could fit more in this design but what I wanted to show you is I'm gonna go and look for here you go, that's that's Frank, that's the circuit mm -hmm. that I just generated. And I'm gonna open this um, file that I generated in a browser and I may need to uh, change the sharing here real quick for our purposes. Let's see if I can, uh, I'm successful in, in doing that. Just one second, please. We can always do a lot of magic in post-production. That's true. This is just astounding. Um, uh, all I, I am, I am so impressed. So let me show you, let me show you something even more impressive. I'm okay. going to, uh, close that sharing and I'm going to open. It's even cooler. It gets cooler. I'm going to open the, this, uh, Frank circuit that we just, uh, generated. You can see Frank with the date. Mm -hmm. And now this is the Grover operator, but this is the sort of the top level block. Now I can go deeper and say, oh. Here's the adder oh, wow. and the XOR and the equalizer and the reverse and the cleanup and so on. Now, wow. how is the adder implemented? Oh, let's dive deeper. How, oh, the adder is done using QFT. Well, how is QFT implemented? How is this phase change <laughs> implemented? I could go deeper and deeper and deeper and both understand and control every bit of this design. And this is something that I don't know about you guys, but I had no chance of doing manually. And here I did it on a live stream in 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 less than a minute yeah. using the classic platform. I get a headache just looking at it, so I can't even imagine building it. <laughs> the other thing I was going to say is that, I mean, it doesn't seem like it would be a big stretch now to create, instead of handwriting or, or typing in the JSON, it doesn't seem like it'd be a stretch to build out a UX that would build, the, that would generate that like a web page that would generate that uh, that JSON. Have you been searching my computer? That's I have not. I just <laughs> I just thought of that now. It's like, well, it's just JSON. I mean, you can I, I heck, think, you can yeah, probably make a Silverlight app. I think that's a very good idea. Let me put it this way. <laughs> Great minds think alike, except about, except about the Silverlight part. Uh, that's interesting. Wow. So so I mean, like what? What are your, uh, well, I guess we kind of know where your head is at in the future, but I mean, you know, who, 
couple of questions. You know, what what's the what's the strategy for Classic? Like, what you know, obviously you, you mentioned financial services firms, it's probably research firms, that sort of thing. Is that the target market? Do you, do you see yourself as also being kind of an educational thing where you can you can describe the problem and then take a look at what the quantum circuit looks like, or is it all the above? So, so there there are three audiences that we uh, look at. The first one is companies that are creating quantum teams or are getting into quantum. They all understand that quantum can be transformational to the industries. And usually they understand that today's computers are not powerful enough, but they need to get ready because they don't want to fall behind an office and say, oh, uh, Goldman Sachs is being is able to do this really complex calculations. And I at Bank of America, am not able to do that. They can't afford to be behind. So they set up and I'm just picking on them. I mean, this could be, this could be um, a chemical company. This could be FedEx. This could be. I mean, if, if FedEx were able to to save 20% in their fuel costs by optimizing the routes, that's a big deal. Right. Uh, they pay a lot for that. So these companies look at uh, building quantum teams. They find the initial use cases. Sometimes they read an article and say, well, here's how XYZ company did this. We want to implement that. Then we want to start improving that. And they find that using our platform is really the fastest way and sometimes the only way to get that done. Uh, we we sell software. Uh, we can also do initial projects with them just to get them up to speed. And our goal is to make them self-sufficient. We're not a uh, uh, we're not Capgemini. Our goal is not to sell consultants. Our goal is to make you self-sufficient. Uh, of course, sometimes we do work with companies like Capgemini or others to say, hey, you have the customer, we've got the technology, let's work together. So the enterprises are just are one side of the equation. The second side is the academia. And in academia, actually the second and third are academia. You have the professors or the researchers that are saying, what could I do with quantum? Could I invent this new algorithm? Could I find a better way to do something and our platform allows them to focus on the innovation and take the grunt work away. How do you optimize it? How do you fit it? How do you run it? And then there are the students, the students who are just getting into quantum that want to develop their skill set to be used in the real world. They can start using our platform to um, get their hands dirty, so to speak, to gain expertise without having to be bogged down in, in machine code, so to speak, because that machine code is going to go away and is not very practical. And you, they want to step as quickly as possible, as close as possible to being able to deliver true value to their potential employers. I, I continue to be impressed with the innovation that's occurring on, I guess, classical computing to support quantum to emulate it. And I, I remember reading earlier this year that, um, you know, at the beginning of the year, we thought, well, to do this particular optimization on a classical computer, it would take some number of years, probably decades. And going through these simulations and working with the quantum computers, they realized a different approach. And in the process of that, they realized they could approach it differently on classical hardware as well. And it was it's just becoming this this very positive loop. You know, it it just keeps feeding itself. And it's just it's just amazing to me. And seeing this running on classical computing, how it's just up in the game 
for uh, for quantum computing. And we're just, you know, I just can't imagine what we're going to be like when we get in a, a year or two when we reach 4,000 qubits. We're going to be so ready for that because of innovation like this. Absolutely. I mean, you're right that a lot of the quantum computing work has um, generated what's called, you know, quantum inspired optimization. So Microsoft is doing a lot of work in that and saying, OK, well, how can we put some of the things we've learned in quantum into actual use today while we wait for the hardware to catch up? So absolutely. That's awesome. I mean, this is just the more this is what excites me about quantum computing is that the more you dig the more fascinating it becomes like it just i guess that's similar with quantum physics itself right like <laughs> you know uh, the more you look the more the more complexity and and arguably kind of uh beauty you see i agree absolutely and so this is a fascinating time it's a fascinating time to get into the industry because you don't have people with 10 years experience unless they, they knew Heisenberg, right? Right, right. <laughs> and so you could be an expert with uh, 18 months experience. Right. Um, and uh, it's just like machine learning, you know, five, seven, eight years ago. This is the time to get into it because the payoff is going to be huge and your services will be in dramatic demand um, in a couple of years. Right. Absolutely. So where can folks find out more about uh, your product and um, what uh, what would be the next step if someone hears this and they say, um, you know, we definitely want to take a closer look. What's the next step for them? So our website is uh, classic.io, that's C-L-A-S-S-I-Q dot I-O. Uh, hello at classic.io is our um, main email. And if someone wants to start looking at this or thinking about a uh, proof of concept or wants to try it out or is a hardware vendor and wants some partnership, that's the best way to reach us. Uh, if you forgive the plug, I also run a podcast where I host industry leaders to share their thoughts. I'm now almost in my 30th episode. Wow. So, so if, if you're interested in learning what other people, whether it's industry or consulting or hardware vendors think about quantum, then that's a good way to to listen while you jog. Um, and uh, happy to hear from anyone that's interested. Awesome. No, I think this is great. And um, just want to, since it is Black Friday coming up, uh, Andy is wearing a shirt. You can't see it, but it basically says data is the new oil. And it looks like a gas station and a motorcycle. Um, one of our <laughs> designs, we'll put a link in the uh, show notes. And if Amazon will let me, I'll, I'll do what I do every year is I'll drop the prices for, um, uh, for Black Friday uh, all the way through. All the way through the new year, usually, and um, that. Uh, speaking of shameless plugs, but no, I definitely, definitely, <laughs> you know, want to add your podcast that because there's not there is a shortage of really good quantum computing podcasts, which is what really inspired us to get started. Because you're right, I mean, most of the conversation around this is is been you have to have an understanding of theoretical physics and particle physics, which you know, which would be awesome to have, but you know, there's going to be this point, this inflection point, like you said, that happened with machine learning. Yeah. We, you know, we're, we're, I don't know if we're there yet, but we, it's coming. It's, it's going to happen soon. So the Absolutely. best time to get ready is now. Yeah. I love that. And you all, I want to encourage you to continue your podcast. Frank and I are intimately familiar with how hard this is. <laughs> um, just keep, keep doing the grind, brother. 
<laughs> and you too. I appreciate your time and uh, you. look forward to to uh, reconnecting in a couple of months and show you what else is new. Absolutely. Can't wait. Thanks, and I'll let the nice British lady end the show. Thanks for listening to Impact Quantum. We know you're busy and we appreciate you listening to our podcast. But we have a favor to ask. Please rate and review our podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you subscribe to us. Of course, you have subscribed to us. Haven't you? Having high ratings and reviews helps us improve the quality of our show and rank us more favorably with the search algorithms. That means more people listen to us, spreading the joy. And, can't the world use a little more joy these days? So, go do your part to make the world just a little better and be sure to rate and review the show.